So there's two things I'd like to speak about today. One is uh, a little less complicated, one is a little bit more complicated. Um, first and foremost, importance of listening to somebody else, hearing what someone else says. That's the less complicated one. <coughs> the more complicated one is that it's extremely important that we hear other other opinions other than the ones we have and the other ones we, we've established for ourselves. And we've definitely come to a place that, I mean, that there was a book written, I think, in the 1960s called The Closing of the American Mind. 1980s. 1980s? 1987. 1987? Yeah, so... Um, I don't know if he's still alive. Uh, Alan Bloom? Still alive? He's still alive, yeah. Yeah, so I, I know when he published the book, people didn't love it because he was telling them the truth, right? And he, they didn't want to be confused with the facts. But then recently, there was another book called The Coddling of the American Mind. So one is just... You know, you close mind, you don't listen to someone else. The other person, commonly American mind, is about that you can't say something that I don't agree with because it's going to hurt me, right? It doesn't matter if you focus, you know, on me because obviously you're not allowed to belittle a person or you focused on the idea because, you know, you want to bring out another side to the idea, right? This is more complicated where... People cannot even hear. It's, I, I'm actually embarrassed to talk about this. People cannot actually hear an idea that's not like theirs without, without getting, um, you know, um, getting getting insulted. You know, even though you didn't insult the person, you just said I happen to disagree with what you're saying, right? Um, and they get insulted. They take it so personal. Now, I know that people take things personal. personal. And cer- certainly, according to Allah, you're not allowed to, it's an ostvarim to attack someone personally. Right? But when, you t- when you're attacking someone for what they said and not anything personal, right? So that's, uh, you know, uh, the more you deal with a certain subject, the clearer it gets, you know. Um, the, the Mishnah says, Mar Mar you know, a person who speaks to a lot of different people. Chaimi Valojan writes over there on the Mishnah Novo that, you know, a person that, a person, he, you know, each person has a certain side that the other person may not have because no two people are the same. So if you ask someone advice, get advice from this person, that person, and then you finally make your own decision when you add everything together. But the idea of Mar Baitza means hearing different sides to it, right? And today it's somehow like, you know, you can't hear the other side because you get insulted by someone having the other side, right? Or to the extent that really good universities have what they call a safe room or a safe space, which again, I mean, I'm embarrassed telling you about this. I assume you know about it, but it's quite embarrassing to have University of Michigan has a room where you could, it's a great university. Every student I ever had from University of Michigan was top of the line. Right? And they don't need like a room where they have cookies and milk and Lego and stuffed animals, you know, in case you heard something in class that you can't handle, you can run there and now you're in a safe room, you're in a right, safe space. I mean, I mean, I, 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 ain't leave me limb as they say in Hebrew, I, I don't even want to go into explaining how absurd that is, right? That's the coddling of the American mind, meaning that They've created we've we've created in America 
I don't know. If, I don't think it's yet, yet in Israel, but in America, it certainly is. Um, in England, it's to an extent as well. But um, <clears throat> but America, we created like you know very you know big intellectuals that are intellectual you know weaklings. You know they they're very smart people, but they're weaklings <coughs> because they just can't handle someone else who has a different opinion. So I want to tell you something. I want to share a story with you that you'll know I didn't make up. Because you can't make up the story I'm about to tell you. I, I, I would be so creative to be able to make this up. I could probably write a bestseller if I could really make this up. Right? I have a cousin. His name is um, Mayor Pikus. Just so you know, it's real. He teaches math in Turo College. Um, and he, he's also involved with recruiting for Turo College. He comes here to Israel. He lives in New Jersey. He's quite a Talmud Chacham, and he's a Balkori, one of the shuls in New Jersey in Saik. <coughs> and he told over a story a week ago. Uh, actually, it's about probably about two weeks ago now. His daughter gave birth in a hospital. I think it was in New Jersey, but it was either New York or New Jersey. She gave birth in a hospital, and when the doctor over there, mostly it's doctors that birth the women and not midwives. When the doctor birthed the child. He didn't tell her what the child was. So she right away asked. You know, usually say, it's a boy, it's a girl. So he didn't do that. So she thought maybe... It's, so she said to him, like, you know, what is it? So he said, he looked around, orthodox orthodox person, he looked around and he said, what do you want it to be? <laughs> and she actually didn't know what he was talking about because she's like a Basiaco girl, you know, she's been protected, so to speak. She's been in a different type of safe room for a long time, right? So she said, I, I want to know if it's a boy or a girl. He says, well, yeah, what would you like it to be? So um, she decided after, I mean, today you don't have to ask, does it have a male organ or a female organ? That's when you can't, you can't decide that to be. I have a feeling, I don't know. Maybe they're a step ahead of me. But uh, So that's what you're going to have to ask from now on. Like, you know, does, does the child have a male organ or a female organ? Right? Maybe. Um, so actually she went to, to the hospital. Before she left the hospital, she went and she wanted to find out, like, what's going on? You know, she told her father. And the father said, you should go find out in the hospital what's going on. So they said, well, our policy now is not to say if it's a boy or a girl because... You can pick, you know, what it should be, right? <laughs> so what, what, I, what I'm trying to say over here, why am I giving you this story? Not to, I mean, it's just worth hearing the story to see where we've gone to in America. And I'm not getting involved with, you know, sex changes and this and that. You know, let people do what they want, you know. Okay, I'm a liberal guy. But that a doctor has to be afraid to call a child with a male organ a boy, a male, we're dealing with a world that is, that's crazy. I mean, that they can't handle, in the hospital, he had to look around to see, like what the, that the nurses were there, he couldn't say it. You know, he was an orthodox guy, he obviously knew it was a boy. You know what I mean? He wasn't like, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't buy into, you know, progressive, progressive America, right? But, but he was afraid to say it. He was afraid to disagree with the hospital policy. But the fact that it's the hospital policy, you know, I could just imagine all those nurses running to that safe room. If he would have said it was a boy, they would have all like left and just, yeah, we have to have cookies and milk. I mean, like, it's, 
like living in a crazy world. In the Gemara, the Gemara says something a bit different. The Gemara says something a bit different about Shammai and Hill, and I think that's really when we ask, when we always say, okay, so what's the Jewish approach to things, right? So the Gemara says, very famous Gemara, but if you don't know it, it's Kedai that you do know it. The Gemara says, Amar of Mishmul Shalosh Shanim Nechel Kubesham Beisil Aloha Omrim Halacha Kamosein Aloha Omrim Halacha Kamosein Beishamah and Hill, you know, they argued about everything, but they even actually argued about who the Allah should be like. Should it be like Beishamah? It should be like Beishillah, right? <clears throat> Without going into right now, that's not the important thing that I want to show you the Gemara, but it's very interesting that you argue about what, the minute you have an argument like that, you obviously have to ask, okay, what did each side think? Why did Beishamah feel that the Allah should be like him? Why did Beishillah feel the Allah should be like him, right? <clears throat> Yotza Basko, Ba'amra, Eluvel Divrel Kimchaim, both are the living word of God, both Beishamah and Beishil, Valachika Beishila. Valach is like Beishil. The Batkol came out of the sky. Okay, so Tosis already asks, can a Batkol decide who the Allah should be like? We know in other Gemaras. It can't decide it, so why did it decide it here? There's Tosis and Rishon to talk about it, but what I want to get to is the next piece of the Gemara, which is relevant to what we just learned. Since both are the living word of God, they're both true, in other words. So why did Beis Hill get this, you know? Why did the Basko, which is like a heavenly voice come out, like which probably is like sent from heaven in some shape or form, right? Why is Allah like Beis Hill? Why did the Basko decide Allah is like Beis Hill? Because they were they were easier and they actually were more like modest. Aluvim means they were able to they weren't so um, the word would be they weren't so uh, proud of their ideas. They were very modest about their ideas. You know, this is more what I'm thinking about, and you know there could be other opinions as well. Because they were aluvim, v'shonim divrei divrei beishamai. They learned their words and the words of beishamai, implying of course beishamai. He got to a conclusion. He didn't need to hear what Hill said, but a Hillel because Hill were they were more humble, right? And again, I'm not trying to say that Shammai had problems with covered, right? He held that, you know, this is I have to come uh, the conclusion I come to, I come to, and then I don't need to hear any other opinions. But in, in Shamayim, they determined that the halach has to be like the one who heard the other opinion as well and decided, right? And that is, uh, obviously, we're not talking about Shamayim Hill, we're talking about Beit Shammai. So we're talking about, it, it was a school of thought. It wasn't just like a particular person in, in the school of Beit Shammai. It was the Beit Shammai school of thought was, you know what? We have to hear the other opinion. And not only that, the Gemara adds, <clears throat> Not only that, but they actually, like we have in our Mishnayis, right? 
it says Beishamay and they spill it, Beishillel. In other words, Rabbi Yudha Nasi decided, oh, we have to do it that way, Beishamay and they spill because that's the way the house of Hillel did it, right? Which I, I assume they, in some shape or form, Rabbi Yudha Nasi is actually from that same house as uh, Hillel was from the house of, you know, the, the princely house. So, it's very clear in the Gemara that not only did Beis Hillel first, you know, before he decided anything, <coughs> he looked into the opinion of Beit Shammai. Not only that, but he looked into it. He he looked into it first, right? He wanted to hear what the other person. It's just the really the antithesis of what I just described to you before. Mamash the antithesis, right? Because we're talking about where you know disinviting someone who comes to university, right? I saw Rabbi Sachs, he, he said from 19, from, from 2000 to 2016, <coughs> 10 people in the year 2000 were not, were disinvited from American universities. In 2016, there were 44 already that were invited. It went up like 400 times, right? Today, I'm sure it's even higher than that, right? To disinvite someone because you don't want to hear their opinion, right? Because their opinion is so radically, quote-unquote, radically different than yours. And sometimes it is radically different. But sometimes that's what makes it important to hear because sometimes we can't think out of the box, right? And we can't think out of the box. We have a certain box we think in, right? I'm not going into the politics of Israel today, you know. There's a government that's a little, I would say, also out of the box today. And... And, you know, of course, everybody keeps saying that you can't do this. You can't change the judicial, judicial laws, right? You know, change the power of the, of the courts and stuff. And, you know, different people are trying to force the situation. Right? Again, the, the, the people don't like other people who think out of the box. They don't like it. But sometimes you have to try to think out of the box because thinking in the box is not working. So they, they put this frame on themselves and decide like, yes, anything within this frame is okay, but out of the frame, you can't, you can't, you can't think about it, you know, and they'll say why it won't work and this and that, but sometimes you have to try it, you know, I, I come from New York, I'm a New Yorker, I don't have to tell you that, just the accent, right, um, from Brooklyn actually, you got the Brooklyn accent, right, so I remember being very afraid going on the trains and buses, mostly the trains in New York, when I was a kid, I went to yeshiva, it was far away, and um, I had to go to, I was living in Brownsville, I had to go to um, to East Flatbush, and I, I had to take a train, and it was a scary train, my neighbor was a pretty scary neighbor to live in, if you don't believe me, whenever you get to New York, you could try driving there, you probably have to need a tank, a car won't do, right, um, and, um, and I thought that would never change in New York. I thought that, you know, crime-ridden city. It's a crime-ridden city. It's a big city. It's got all different types, crime-ridden, right? And then this guy Giuliani came in, this Italian guy, and he said, I'm going to clean up New York. And I was already living in Israel at the time, right? And I came back to New York uh, years later, and I was I was still scared of the train, and I started, started seeing there's nothing to be afraid of anymore. This is really strange, Right? This man said I could change it. Everybody said you can't change it. Right? That's what he said. In fact, he came during the second intifada to Israel. He came to visit. 
he was the mayor, I think, then, and he came to visit to speak to the mayor of Jerusalem. And a lot of Jews, Lola were being killed at that time. On buses and in stores, everywhere. And uh, I remember when he got when he walked into town, a number of Israelis said, "We need you as the prime minister." I, they said it in English to him, "We need you as the prime minister because you know you, you're able to think out of the box." Because everybody says, "Well, we just have to live with terrorism until you know there's some sort of uh, I don't know peace treaty or something else, right?" I'm not going into the politics. I'm just saying, here's a man who was able to say, "You know what?" I'm not taking it anymore. We're going to change this, right? And, and nobody thought he could do it. They laughed at him. He was able to do it. Now, unfortunately, New York went back to the way it is. It's starting to go back. Or maybe actually did go back. The last time I went to America, they told me not to get on a train in, in, in New York City. But that's the point. That's why it's important to listen to other people, right? To listen to other people because you don't have to agree with them. You just have to see their side, you know, sometimes it's absurd. There isn't another side, but many times there is another side. You know, the guys who are being disinvited to universities are a lot smarter than me. I'm telling you. These guys are really smart. Okay? I've, I've listened to some of them after they have told they weren't, they were disinvited, you know. And, uh, you know, one of the guys, his name is Ben Shapiro. I listened to him on Pew Youth. The man is really smart. Okay? You don't have to agree with him, but he's really smart. He's definitely worthwhile hearing. Right? Or, or there's some other guys, I don't remember the names, but over the last few years I've been hearing about guys disinvited. And they all have one thing in common, is they're really smart. And I guess that's why they're disinvited, because like they may say something that makes sense. <laughs> My grandfather, Rabbi Yaakov, one time I was with him in a car. My father was driving, he was in the front, I was in the back, and uh, I started talking to him about the fact that in the Nuzman, in Yeshiva, I'm not going to be having a Chavrusa. I'm going to be learning on my own, without a Chavruta. So he said, you know, when you don't have a Chavrusa, the whole Beit Midrash has to be a Chavruta. You have to be going around and asking people what they think, what this person thinks, that if you have a Kasha, you go to a few people to see what the, what the, you know, what they think. He said, because... If you don't have a chavrus, you'll never learn how to listen. So that was for me a big idea because I always thought having chavrus is so he'll listen to me, <laughs> not I listen to him, right? Have someone to you know like he's a you know a sounding board for me, right? But I, I that was like a little like you know I, I mentioned here once that Gedoli Torah always likes throwing curveballs. That was one of the curveballs. It was many curveballs. I struck out tons of times, but. Uh, uh, but that was it, you know, he said, and then he added something, he added something, he said, and there was a Godel B'Yisrael that I held, he was the Godel Hador in America, and he had one big chesaron, he had one big problem, he couldn't listen to another person. But I held him to be the Godel Hador in America. He didn't tell me who it was, right? My father told me who it was, but, 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 but he didn't tell me who it was. That's, in other words, for Abyakov, that was so important that you learn to listen to another person, right? Whether it's in learning, whether it's another opinion, right? And I always saw that he was open to, you know, he didn't finalize his opinion. He wanted to hear, like like I said at the beginning, Marba Eitz and Marba Tuna. You have to hear from different people. Everybody has different sides of things. And they can contribute to the 
to the challenge at hand, right, to the question at hand, and and that's a very important thing to get those different opinions. By the way, in Ashkafa, Shlomo Zalman Orbach said that you don't have to ask one rabbi. I saw where he it's written that somebody asked him. He said, in Allah, you ask one rabbi. You can't ask another rabbi. But he says, in Ashkafa, you can ask as many rabbis as you want. You know, because I, I don't even think you have to ask rabbis. You could ask, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, it has to do with how much you should uh, invest in a certain stock. I mean, I wouldn't ask a rabbi that. I'd be afraid to ask a rabbi that. I'd ask a person who's in the stock market, right? In other words, you can ask a lot of different, get a lot of different sides to something in order to get a clarity in what what you should be doing. Recently, I had a student last year from Princeton University, also a very smart student, very, very smart girl. Wonderful, wonderful girl. So on the, we have a chat where you ask halachic questions. This is the following question she asks. If someone asks you who you're voting for in a given election, how can one answer that question to avoid speaking Russian horror? told her, I was shocked at the question. What do you mean? According to, you know, if you disagree with the person, it's Lush and Hara? Now you're not attacking the person, right? You're, you could disagree and say, I voted for this person because I don't like the other person's policies. You could even say, I don't like his Midos, right? You could say that. Because most of the time, those types of Midos are quite, you know, in today's day and age, are quite well known those midos. You could say, I didn't like, you know, I don't like the way he acts on stage. You know? It's well known. Right? So, but I, my feeling is, and when I wrote to her, I, I, I got the, it, it added to my knowledge about this feeling is that, that, you, you know, you're not allowed to say, you're not allowed to tell someone an opinion that's not their opinion because it's lush and horror or because you're not supposed to say it. Like, in other words, it, it's coming from a halachic perspective, but it's coming from a deeper than a halachic perspective. Coming from the perspective is, how can I tell the person who I voted for, that means I didn't vote for the other person, right? And that's not acceptable. How do you vote for two people? I'm not exactly sure. I think there are certain people who know how to do that in Israel. <laughs> but, but I'm not exactly sure how you do that, right? But, but in other words, there's no problem. I, I want to tell you something interesting. How many people here heard of Rabbi Beryl Wine? A lot of people are very Beryl Wine, yeah. So he's like well known as a, he was no, in my day he was known as the head of the OU Kashrus, but now he's known as a historian and I mean he's a person probably in his ninety already, probably ninety already. So I had a student who after she left the Dresha Rachel, she began writing editorials for the Jerusalem Post. Book reviews she was writing. Not editorials, book reviews. So she she calls me up and she says to me, Rabbi Sher and Rabbi Wine printed a book and they asked me to review it at the Jerusalem Post. And the, I, look, I read through the book and I, I have certain B-Covered on the book. I have certain uh, critique of the book. And I'm real, I don't know if I'm allowed to do it. You know, he's a rabbi. I don't know if I'm allowed to do it. So I said, you know what? I'll ask Rabbi Zalman Goldberg. So I went to Rabbi Zalman Goldberg who was a Big post here in Eretz Yisrael at the time. This goes back many, many years ago, probably 20 years ago. And he said, 
What are you talking about? Don't you see that in the Torah journals, and the next Torah journal is always covered on the last Torah journal. And sometimes they're not even so nice. You know, they really let you have it. Which the Chavetz Chaim has a whole piece on, you know, when you have two two rabbis, you know, in the Talmud, that one lets the other one have it. Like, how are you allowed to do that? It gets a little bit personal. Chavetz Chaim discusses this. Chuvas for him about it. Chavetz I think he quotes. But... But Reb Zalman Chaim, you said that it's that's in other words they're not attacking the person; they're attacking the per, you know they they have a big court, they have a critique on what you know sometimes the way the person the person wrote sometimes it's proofs whatever it is he says of course that's that has to be that in that way we grow we grow we see you know that there's different perspectives of something you know and it's not so simple what that person wrote I mean. She, I read the article she wrote. It wasn't even exactly very, very. It wasn't very bikorti. It wasn't really so, you know. But she was worried about it. Okay, understand it. Verb Zalman you said like, okay, you're not allowed to attack the person, but an idea, a shita, an approach. Of course, you're allowed to attack. Not only, not only allowed, but if you have a different way of looking at things, so it's very important that it be brought out. That another, another side be brought out. I want to share with you two stories. One of Gedolim and one of Ketanim. So I had a story, I'm talking about the Ketanim. I had a story with somebody. <clears throat> I had a story of a woman studying at Madrash Rachel, goes back many years, and her mentor told her, mentor is a well-known person in Yerushalayim today, um, certainly in the Balchuba world, and the mentor told her that she should leave Midrash Rochel. He heard bad things about Midrash Rochel. So she came to me to tell me she has to leave. So I said, what did, what did he hear? So she told me what he heard, and there wasn't an iota of truth of what he had heard. So I first thought that he should maybe call up to see if it's true. But even if he didn't, it, it, I said, you know that it's not true. I said, you know, you study here. So she said, I know, I told him. But he said, no. That's what he heard, and that's what it is, and that's it. So I called him up. I called him a very nice person, very nice person. So I explained to him that he thought we teach certain things at the school. I said, we don't teach certain things. His comment was very telling. His comment was, so you're the same as Neve. You're the same as Neve. So that biography of Rabbi Yaakov came out about six months before that. So I had a feeling he read it. I had a feeling. And I was right. I said, you read the biography of Rabbi Yaakov? So he said, yeah. I said, was he the same as Rav Shach? Rav Shach was alive then. See, Sam Shach says, no. So I say, so why does Meshkel have to be the same as Neveh? And if it is the same as Neveh, why do you need two Neveh's? That's what I said then. But his answer was very telling. He needed it to be the same. He couldn't have, well, you know, couldn't have another Ashkafa. You know, it has to be the same. Right? That's something that's not so much different than the idea of, you know, I disinvite you. You know, it's not so much different than the, you know, you have a different opinion, you know, I think it's radical, I can't hear that opinion. 
I'm not talking here about the, what it wasn't even close to heresy. You know, you could say, well, he heard some heretical things about Madrasha Rachel, right? But it wasn't even close to that. But and and then he believed me that there was that. You know, but why, why does it have to be the same? The fact that he needed it to be the same, right? That's a problem. You know, two institutes don't have to be the same. In fact, again, they shouldn't be the same because why do you need two, right? If you have if you have another institute, it should be it should be approaching something that the other one doesn't do. There shouldn't be an overlap. So that's the story about the Ketan. I'm going to tell you a story about the Gedolim. Okay? There was a book written in Hebrew, then it was translated into English. I was actually mostly responsible for being translated into English. Um, <clears throat> the book was written by Professor Yehuda Levi, Leo Levi, and it was called Shari Talmud Torah. Okay? It's an excellent work in Hebrew, and it's called Torah Study in English. You probably have some in the... Um, in the library, I say some because since I was responsible, I got a lot of the books from Feldheim. Feldheim made a condition with me that he was very afraid to publish it in English, right? So he said to me, you have to guarantee me you're going to sell 100 books. So I like it went around trying to sell 100 books, you know, for, in order to get this published in English. You know, Professor Levy asked me, he said, I've translated it into English, let's say maybe you can help me get it published. What happened? He wrote in this Shari Talmud Torah, it's an excellent work about a lot of different topics about Talmud Torah, about halacha, but one of the chapters devotes itself to Torah and Derech Eretz, learning Torah and studying secular studies. Don't forget he was the head of of, of uh, Mahon Lev. He's the, you can imagine what kind of doctorate he had in optics, right? He was a big Talmud Chacham and a big scientist as well, you know. <clears throat> so, um, so because he had that, someone showed the chapter to Rav Shach. I know this not firsthand. I know because Rav Yaakov told it to me, right? Showed to Rav Shach, and he said, "Like he's he he has that as a possibility. Torah derecheretz that you should study Torah, but also go to university, right? Which he sort of proved that point. I mean, he's a brilliant person, and he was a masmidotzim. So not everybody could do what he did. That I, that I can tell you. But but so Rav Shach decided to put the book in Cheirim. There was one major problem. Rav Shach was very close with my grandfather. They learned in Slavotka. And Rabbi Yaakov gave us scum on it. He gave approbation on the book. It's not like he just liked the book. He gave an approbation on the book. So what is he? He's going to put the book in Cherem and, and Rabbi Yaakov gave Haskoma on the book? It looks a little bit strange, right? So Rav Shach did what you should really do. He called up Rabbi Yaakov and he said to Rabbi Yaakov, you know, maybe you'll say that uh, your Haskoma was for Chutzlaretz. Right? For Chutzlaretz. Right, not for Israel. So Rabbi Yaakov said, I don't understand. We can't have a machoikas. We can have we can have a disagreement. You hold, you have to put it in the chayrim. And I hold, you have to give us scum on it. What's so terrible? <laughs> right? The I saw a quote. You know, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, he has every quote in the book. Like, I mean, he, the guy re- read every book within the last 20 years that's worth reading. 
right? And actually seems to remember them. I don't know how he did it, but he quotes George Orwell in, I think, the book 1984. If liberty means anything at all, it means the right to tell people what they don't want to hear. Thank you very much.